Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm very lucky to have John Parry. John is the VP of Logistics for the very successful supermarket chain, Asda. John, welcome. Hi, how are you doing, Jonathan? Great to be here. Great, great to have you on board. And John, perhaps you could talk to us a bit about your, your leadership background, current role you're doing now, and some of the, the recent roles. Of course. I'm, um, I'm currently, as you say, the Vice President for Logistics for ASDA. I'm in the fifth year uh, of this role and I've been in uh, retail logistics supply chain for about 25 years. Um, grew up in the stores, in retail, store management, regional management, then uh, found my way into uh, head office environments, uh, again in retail. And then I, um, about 10, 12 years ago, moved into the distribution logistics side of the business. And that's been uh, fabulous. Uh, really gave me that steep learning curve again. Uh, I've done a number of roles uh, for previous companies, Summerfield, I ran distribution for them. Prior to that, I was the uh, retail services director. And then for Asda now, been in 10 years and uh, done a number of roles within distribution and logistics, running the various networks. And as I mentioned now, fifth year of, of running pretty much the end-to-end logistics for, for the ASDA business. Yeah, well, well I mean, you, 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 you have been almost like the fifth or, or the fourth emergency service, um, particularly during this current crisis, the COVID-19 crisis, which continues to run on. Do you want to just give us a bit of a flavor of what was, what's it been like? Um, I know I wasn't going to ask you this question, just come to mind, but you know, what's it been like during this time and what, what really inspired you about the people who work with you and for you and how they were fine leaders during this really challenging time? Just what was the scale of what you had to do? Because it was, must have been enormous. Do you know, it's been, a, it's been an incredible few months, actually, um, and one that I've never experienced within my career, and I'm sure many people haven't, or indeed my lifetime. Um, for very different reasons, um, I experienced the, the, you know, the petrol crisis in the early 2000s. That gave us a surge of, of you know, sales and volume. Uh, but this one's been different on, across many dimensions. And you know, I'm incredibly proud of my team, uh, incredibly proud of the people that work within our ASDA business. Um, you know, it, it's been across a number of phases and stages, actually. You know, first time we really felt it was uh, during the panic buying. And, you know, being a retail business that we are, you know, we are very proud to be, you know, first and foremost, uh, feeding the nation. That, that is fundamentally what we're setting about to achieve. Um, we had a massive surge in terms of our sales during panic buying. Uh, it was clearly unplanned. And, you know, when we think about the times of a year in retail, uh, when you do get a surge of uh, sales and volume, it's very much planned. It tends to be around the Christmas time. It tends to be uh, a number of months in planning resources, whether that be people or, or equipment. But this just came out of the blue in many ways. Uh, and to, to, to hold on to that and be able to serve 
our customers better than anybody else through in that time was were, was unbelievable. Uh, the resilience of the team that uh, I'm privileged to leave were, lead was unbelievable. And we've got getting on for twelve and a half thousand colleagues in logistics. We've also got you know circa one hundred and fifty thousand colleagues that work within our business. I was incredibly proud of our stores because you know right on the front line being able to support and, uh, and lead and, and also serve customers in the way that we did was very, very inspiring. And then back up the supply chain where we work, to be able to move through all that product into our stores over that period of time was also uh, incredible. Challenging, but very, very rewarding. We then sort of went to the next phase, um, you know, when we went into lockdown, and as a result of lockdown, that changed the, the shape of our business. The social distancing element, pretty much put a ceiling on the amount of people that we could move through through the network, but also how many people shopped with us. Mm -hmm. So clearly the, you know, the two meter rule and how we move colleagues and customers around our stores played a big, big part. Um, and that's been an incredible journey uh, as well, because what then happened was the different channels that we serve our customers through, such as the online parts of the business, whether that be our online grocery, um, channel or indeed the george.com channels for our non-food business they absolutely grew like bilio and we needed to provide more capacity so that we could serve more customers and you know those parts of our business have, have more than doubled so uh, if you take it back to the logistics side of things we had to create more capacity we had to really think about uh, our resources differently and grow them we also um, had to think about the safety environment of our people and, you know, I'm incredibly proud to work for this business because um, the number of vulnerable colleagues and extremely vulnerable colleagues that, that we have that had a number of conditions, we supported them over a 12-week period to go and, you know, stay at home. We wanted to shield them. We wanted to protect them. And then ultimately what that meant was that we needed to replace um, those colleagues as fast as we possibly could again to serve our customers either through our shops or online numbers were we talking about john how many uh well oh, we, we, we had up to twenty-five thousand people off work wow. um in a moment and therefore thinking about how we replace those colleagues across our business was um was incredible because we were doing things so much more quickly agile um there was some benefit because other uh, industries were and companies were furloughing. Um, we have now got people working in our business that are from airlines, uh, from other industries, which you know we were incredibly thankful for. We had a fabulous friends and family recruitment program, so we managed to recruit very quickly uh, a lot of friends and family into our business across the entire business. Um, so that was just an incredible experience, and you know then the. Staying with that for a moment, John, because um, this is really interesting and, you know, uh, inspiring leadership in challenging times, you guys have had to live it more than many. And, and of course, um, some leaders have said that actually, because of the pandemic, a lot of the usual barriers to, oh, we can't have working from home, you know, it'll take us a few years to get around to that, happened in like 10 days or happened in two days. Uh, others where you're bringing in people from the airline industry and elsewhere. Surely you're getting quite a lot of innovation and aren't they putting, because as there was famous, I was listening to a really good book called, um, by Admiral David Marquet called Leadership is Language. And it used ASDA as a case study 
and it said in Asda they had a problem with staff wanting to take time off and kids weren't well and they had it they were sick themselves or whatever and the supervisors were trying to organize it all and it never kind of worked and the and the, the your colleagues said look we'll do it ourselves and and, and we'll, we'll work out the roads and we'll swap between ourselves and you've got a system now which is just becomes part of the Asda culture which is called something like swap with a colleague or uh, you know yeah. it's like time slots what anyway it was just really good idea of upwards innovation within Asda where colleagues did themselves and supervisors at first hung on to it because it was their control they went no we'll get on with other things that are more important you guys work it out between yourselves and cover the shifts to suit yourselves is that is that right yeah I mean shift swapping shift flexible swap. working um, you know really thinking about you know, it, it, it prior to it was as does a great place from that perspective. You know, we we really do encourage that, um, and you know, clearly more of it was required when we went through um, or have been going through in the last number of months. Our home office is closed, uh, and we've got a number of those across the country in the Midlands, in Leeds, of course, uh, and also um, in Britannia House across across the other side of Leeds. The, the way in which we managed to set up and keep the that the cogs of the business moving was quite incredible. And that's about technology, isn't it, clearly? It's about the ability to um, keep the, those cogs moving, but you know, it's all pretty much led and driven by people and people's flexibility and yeah. the ability that they then have to um, you know, continue to do things in different environments. And I know that um, my own personal experience of um, lockdown and working from home and having you know, traveled quite a lot with my role in the weeks and the months, you know, that, that becomes um, you know, a different set of circumstances that you've got to deal with. But I'm, I'm delighted at the pace at which and the agility of our business and the way that we managed to do that, all of which you know, you know, protecting our colleagues, but also then the ability of our colleagues and our leaders to serve our customers. Yeah. which was quite incredible. And you mentioned there about innovation. You know, we, we, in our function in logistics, it's very much about creating a culture of innovation within a logistics function. That, that is fundamental to, to, what, to what we are. We've evolved over that. And, you know, the environment that we're trying to create is to think differently. We want our colleagues to really have that empowered feeling so that they can simplify our business and the way we work. And that is very much about that innovation uh, line of thinking mm, it's, it's brilliant and there's so many lessons about inspiring leadership in challenging times from what's been happening but what is happening right now and and if you think about we were going to talk about in, you know who inspired you and your story of inspiring leadership in this crisis can you think of individuals who've inspired you who perhaps work in the logistic chain or colleagues or something and, and what qualities it was that they are showing and have shown in a crisis that you admire about them? Yeah, I mean, there's two for me, you know, being part of the Asda business, you know, we're part of the Walmart family and, um, you know, Walmart's in 27 markets, different countries, including the US. Um, my firm view is Doug McMillan, who's the president and CEO of Walmart. The way he practices servant leadership, the way he galvanizes the biggest retailer in the world is quite formidable. Um, and I will also put Judith McKenna in that. Judith McKenna is the president and CEO of Walmart International. So Judith covers all the international markets on behalf of Walmart. And it's been such an incredible journey 
and the privilege of being able to listen to those two leaders throughout gain the learnings and understandings of where the COVID crisis has been at different uh, paces and different stages in different parts of the world and being able to learn from that but also being able to share our own experiences has really helped us shape our response to the COVID crisis and you know ultimately feeding the nations of all the Walmart markets. It's been an incredible um, uh, period of time and you know Doug McMillan, Judith, the way they practice servant leadership, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they are visible um, whether that be in the distribution centers, the fulfillment centers, most importantly, our stores, um, it's been incredible to watch and yeah. certainly learn from. Well, it, we'll, we'll talk afterwards, but it, it was a great privilege to coach Judith some years ago when she was C, e, no, CFO and CEO of Asda uh, and see her rise to um, great things. And we need to get her on this program and talk because she's an inspiring leader. And also, it'd be good to get Doug on at some stage because they, they both for me, are people that everybody talks about. And, and take, going from individuals uh, and their qualities to your team, because it sounds like your team shows many of the qualities of an inspiring team. And like you've probably been, as I know I've been in, toxic teams. Let's firstly talk about when in the past, and don't mention any organizations or names, but when you've been in toxic teams or you've seen toxic teams that you've worked alongside, what went wrong about them and what was the thing that people need to watch out for in your experience and then we'll talk about what makes an inspiring team and what you're seeing working well when a team's working together in a crisis i think i think you make some really good points i think you know what shapes you as a leader is you know certainly um things that you get right and you want to continue to do more of um and you get that through feedback and certainly things that you you, you do wrong and probably the things that you do wrong and learn from are, are the things that shape you more so. I mean, my experience, um, certainly in terms of, you know, what, what I've taken from poor leadership. Um, I was led by an individual when I was first uh, promoted as a store manager. I had my first store. Um, I always think that your first year of, you know, when you move up the ladder, it can be the most challenging. And it resonates with me significantly that first year I was a store manager. Not only because I was trying to establish myself as a leader, I was leading you know, up to about 80 people within that environment, um, doing it for the first time. Um, but I was led by an individual that I would never want to be led by again. <laughs> and um, that autocratic tell and do, uh, threatening style of behavior, um, constantly then therefore you're thinking you, you fear for your job if you make a mistake, all of those things that um, you know, I know that people listening would, would probably resonate with. There's no doubt that that shaped me in a way that was, I will never lead like that and I would never want to lead my team in that way. That's definitely stayed with me. Um, and you know, I can recall many, many examples during that, that first year of being led in the way that I would never want to lead individuals. Yeah, the toxic leader uh, and um, the toxic turnaround as, as Lee's doing some work on that right now, looking at how you turn things around. So when she's putting her, her book and her series together, you need to share that story. I think it's a very good one. And then your team seems to, from what others are saying, not just from what you're proud of, have said about your team and your logistics team and how that is working well together. What is it that gets a team working well together? Because, um, you know, stronger together, some of the parts greater than the whole. What, 
what is it that makes a, a good inspiring leadership team? Yeah, for me, I'm, I've learned a lot about this over time and, and um, developing teams and finding um, the right people for the right roles. I mean, for me, it's very much about diversity, you know, diversity, inclusion on many fronts, whether that be gender, ethnic backgrounds, but particularly for me. And, you know, I'm finding more about this and I'm seeing a lot of value in it, which is around the diversity of thought. Not having, you know, seven, eight, nine individuals that are all the same, um, you know, cut from the same type of cloth, do the same things. Uh, I, I really am realizing that by getting that diversity of thought, that inclusion, the ability to bring the best out of individuals, whatever the situation is, whether it be a crisis or indeed, whether it just be in the business as usual, that's trying to improve a part of our business, being able to harness that diversity of thought include people that may well be introverts clearly more than extroverts is definitely having a much better impact and performance on on our business and certainly on the performance of the logistics function yes that's great that's great and then you alluded to learning from mistakes um you know i think we talked about having this this um get better mindset rather than be good and think that you're already the finished product someone said to me that we are um the incomplete leader leading a complete team. We're always work in progress, constantly. It's, it's a journey, it's never a destination. And I, I know that from my journey as a leader and as a advisor to CEOs and others that it's, I'm constantly having to keep improving, unlearn things to learn new things. What, what about you, John? You know, you, you learn, you're, you're humble enough to admit when you make mistakes and things like that. Uh, and you are prepared to be appropriately vulnerable. I, li I like that about you. Um, but what is it that you've learned when, I don't know, in the recent years, you just got something really personally badly wrong and, and you've learned something from that? What would be the story that you'd tell when you got it wrong and, and what you learned from it, which has shaped you as a leader today? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's the basis of um, being able to really listen to people. And you know, when I set about my career as a leader, whether that be um, right or wrong, it certainly felt like I as a leader was leading in a way that I expected results and therefore getting results through the team was more directed by myself as opposed to um, you know, from the team and empowering and, and, and getting, getting results through the team. Uh, I've made a number of mistakes through that in the early days. Um, you know, expectations being too high, um, not listening to what, how people really felt, thinking that my way was the right way. Um, you know, quite a lot of that in the early days. I think that there, was, there was one moment for me, um, and it was a bit of a paradigm shift, and it sort of linked to that whole point of listening. It certainly linked to um, what my expectations were versus actually what are the expectations of all of those that are around us, particularly the leadership team. And um, I went through some level of 360 degree feedback. Um, it was an interesting process. Um, the process was, uh, and, and Help by You, was very much about being right front and center in terms of the feedback that you got. Really being clear about, actually, it's not what you think, John, it's what other people think about you. And that really resonated with me. And as a result of that, and since then, I've made a very much more conscious effort to be 
very clear about my expectations, but only by doing so with the full value of the team and their feedback. You, you can't do it on your own. You certainly don't get better performances by doing it on your own. You made the point earlier on, you know, about it's, you know, the sum of the parts being greater than the whole. And the power of the team, the power of one team, the power of, you know, 12,500 colleagues and be able to harness that absolutely gets us to a better place. And that's something that I set about in this role where we have central teams, field teams, and also teams in distribution centers that are all a bit fragmented. We then harness the power of all of those as one, as the logistics services, one team, and we've definitely seen an improvement in results as a result of that. And clearly in my approach to listening to all of those colleagues uh, and then putting actions into practice from, from that feedback. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. That's some really great real life stories. And, uh, and thinking also, we were talking about, we, we can get quite serious. I mean, you and I have laughed at each other and, and I certainly laugh at myself, getting too intense about things and trying to measure everything. And, you just need to lighten up sometimes, particularly as leaders, because you can't just keep grinding away and just seeking perfection all the time. Uh, we talked about this, uh, Jim Richardson mentioned the other day, the Brigadier, about how he, he tries to get his team to work at 80 to 90% of capacity so that when a real crisis comes along, you can step up, you've got bandwidth to get to 100%, but then you need to step down again and recover and take time off. And, and, and people have been working hard for three or four months now and they need breaks and holidays. I know I'm gonna try and get a long weekend and I, I intend to, or we'll be, we'll be at home looking after my, my mother-in-law who's got Alzheimer's, but we'll, we'll be taking a couple of weeks in the summer just to not be doing work because it, you get exhausted. But um, in these difficult times, we can lighten things up by a bit of humor. And, and there must be some lovely stories that, that made you smile or laugh uh, of when, when people brought humour into the middle of COVID and all the crisis and the anxiety and the fear people had. Can you think of any stories? Well, I can. I mean, everything that you've, you've mentioned there resonates uh, with me and the team because, you know, what I mentioned earlier on about panic buying and all that good stuff. And it was probably the sixth weekend in a row that, you know, we hadn't had a day off. So we'd gone for six, six weeks it was very much in the, we've got to keep getting the volume through. We need to keep serving our customers better than everybody else. Daily, we were having conference calls front and back of the day. And, um, you know, you get by the very nature of this, because we're in lockdown, a bit of Zoom fatigue. You know, we've talked about it. it many people will, will, will relate to that. Um, and, you know, some of us were feeling unwell. Um, you know, I, there's no doubt that I feel that I might have had you know, the coronavirus. I know a number of my, my team did. I'll find that out at some point when I get, get, get a test. Um, but ultimately, it was hard yards for me and the team. And that relentless daily going around, didn't see where the end was going to be. Um, unlike when you're at Christmas, you know, on December the 24th, that you've got somewhat of a, of a break to have. Somebody then made a, a comment on, on our Zoom meeting that why don't we just tomorrow wear a silly hat <laughs> so you know we decided and the people started to fall about laughing you know it's small but when you're in that moment small things start start to make you make you uh, laugh and uh, funnily enough we went on a on a on a few days of not only did we wear a silly hat 
We then had people wearing safari suits. We then had people dressed. One one of my colleagues, Sharon Hammond, she dressed it up dressed up as a pint of lager <laughs> on a fancy dress moment. And those moments on those calls when it was intense and had been intense, all of a sudden there became this moment where, you know, for the start of the calls, we were five or ten minutes laughing about what people were wearing, the banter, um, and, and that was great. You know, that then evolved into, do you know what, we just need to take some time out. We need to leverage more of the power of the team. We've got some fabulous direct reports, fabulous leaders that work into this team. And uh, then making sure that we could then take some time out, come back refreshed, um, was definitely, and we've not looked back. So, um, you know, bringing back that humour, we, we like humour, don't we? But when you're in that moment, oh, um, it takes something just to, 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 to break out of it. It was that comment of, why don't we just wear a silly hat tomorrow? And where did that take us to some far more humorous places? No, that's, that's great, John. And before we go and talk about your, your upbringing and how it shaped you as the inspiring leader you are today, what, what would be your, your first top tip? And we'll end with a top tip at the end of the, uh, the session. But what would be your first top tip midway through our, through our call? Do you know what? I mean, it absolutely is about being authentic to me. Um, it, took me quite, it took me a long time to be really comfortable in my own skin as a leader. Um, I had quite a lot of feedback coaching as people, many people will have done. Um, you know, when you really sort of search yourself to understand what, what is it stopping you? Uh, what, or what is stopping you becoming that, you know, real authentic leader in a sense of, you know, being really comfortable in your own skin, showing the whole of you. Um, the vulnerable point, you know, making sure people are aware of, of that. Um, took, took me a good 50% of my working career. Mm. And when I then realized maybe some of the reasons what were getting in the way of, the confidence point, some of those self-limiting beliefs, some of those things in your history, some of those things I talked to you about being led in the way that I would never want to lead, lead people, mm. really resonated with me and, and prevented me being that authentic leader. And I'm, you know, I'm delighted to now know, and people that know me, know that they see the full side of me. And sometimes that isn't great, and, and a lot of the time that it is. Um, and I will continue, I know, to make mistakes, but I think Ultimately, it's so important that you learn from them. Um, and if you are uh, capable of learning from them, um, then I think that's incredibly important. But that authenticity for me is, is the big top tip. No, that's great, great, great words of, of practical advice. Thank you, John. And so let's go on then to um, your upbringing uh, and how it shaped the leader you are today and parents, teachers, anybody who influenced you along the way about the leader you are today. So tell us a bit about your life. Yeah, um, you know, I, I was very lucky. I've had a, I had a happy childhood. I had lots of, um, you know, positive experiences. My, my father's not with us anymore, but he really did shape uh, a lot of my um, life in a sense of the way I am now. He, he was also 40 years in retail. Um, my mother was a, a fabulous um, home provider. I've got two sisters older than me. Um, both, both doing fantastic things. So we had a very happy um, childhood. We moved around quite a lot in the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, a lot of retailers would, would resonate with that in those days. But also one of the big things that did shape me was I, got, I was lucky to go and live in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, my father had, was a retail director over in Hong Kong, park and shop still going strong over there. Um, 
between sort of 88 and 92. Um, I came back to university for the final year that they were there. Um, but experiencing that culture, and it was clearly a British colony at that point, experiencing that culture, um, you know, broadening of the horizons, the opening up of the world in very, very different ways in the cultures that were different in the UK, but, you know, clearly more so now, mm. um, you know, Americans, Australians, Asian um, child students that we had in that school was, was very much a shaping of me and uh, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. And what about um, some of the proudest moments of your career? Uh, if, if you were to pick a couple that you've really been highlights of your career and, and you learned a lot about from the success that really went well. Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier on, it's sometimes a little bit about the firsts. So that first uh, time I got promoted to being a store manager um, was an incredibly proud moment for me and my family, of course. Um, you know, it felt very differently, as you heard earlier on. And also the role that I'm in now. I'm incredibly privileged to have the role that I'm in. Um, the first time I got promoted and um, to this role um, was, a, was a real proud moment for, for myself and my family. Mm. To have the privilege of leading nearly 13,000 colleagues and, you know, what you carry around is that importance of, of that um, definitely has shaped me. Um, and you know what? The, the point about firsts, this crisis that we've led through, that, that is a massive first for me. And you know, I'll be the first to say that I've got things wrong in this space, um, but it really has shaped me on a number of fronts. And why? It really has helped me understand things that are more important. Um, I've, I've, through lockdown, managed to spend more time with my family. I've got three children, my wife, Faye, ranging from five-year-olds through to 16. Um, I would normally travel two, three days a week. I've spent more time with them over meal times. Um, we've spent more time together exercising. Um, there's no doubt that that's reshaped my thinking about what's the most important in life. And by the very nature of that, it makes you a better person in, 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 in the work, work that you do as a leader. So, yeah, I've really reevaluated certainly over the last three months. Got a lot wrong, got some stuff right and got some decent feedback along the way. Really good. And, and I just want to pick into that before we talk about some of the darker moments of your life. But, uh, you know, getting healthy, wealthy and wise, what, what keeps you healthy? What, what, what would be your top tip about staying healthy in this, in this crisis? Do you know what? I mean, you've helped me with that. <laughs> because certainly the time that we've spent, I remember coming to your uh, apartment in London for one of our leadership sessions. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd ended up flying from Exeter to London City. I'd got on the tube. I'd, you know, wanted to make sure I got there on time. I remember pressing the, you know, going to see the guy at the at reception there, pressing the, the lift, went up, you opened the door, and I was a big smile. Come on in, come on in. And the first thing you did was you put a heart monitor on me. And, um, uh, you know, you started to go through all the things around, you know, the importance of healthy lifestyle and living. And ever since then, I've, I've had a Fitbit on. Um, I've had a few different straps with it, to be honest, but the same Fitbit. And that definitely drives me, you know, making sure that you get the right quality of sleep. Um, you know, a lot of people enjoy drink. I, I enjoy drink as much as um, many, but having a balance from that perspective, um, but also exercising, you know, and making sure that you do the very best you possibly can to exercise. And my drive is at least getting 15,000 steps a day. 
um, and making sure that um, you know on the back of that I can I can you know live a more healthier life conscious of foods and different types of foods but you know, that's probably four or five years ago that that was a big change in my life and I thank you for that well thank you John um, I, hadn't, I hadn't realized the impact and what about the top tip on being wealthy uh, do you have any advice on managing your money and uh, having enough to get by for you and Faye and the kids well yeah when, when you like to spend as much as as we do <laughs> um, then you've definitely got to put, put a bit of control in there and there's no doubt uh, um, you know I can hear my grandmother talking to me now uh, making sure you save for a rainy day always making sure that you have a plan and then in that life plan you need to have those milestones and I do definitely think whether it be your career whether it be in your life if you manage to plan and plan appropriately and put some financial planning in then that definitely will stand you in good stead for the future. Um, that, that's really important to us in terms of making sure that we do achieve those goals as, as much as some of the other goals in, in our life as well. Yeah, great one. Well, we'll save the, we'll save the whys for, for after this next one. Um, a dark moment in your life and, and what you personally learned from it about your values, what mattered to you and about being a leader. Do you want to just share something that was really quite personal for you? Yeah. Um, and it's and it's our younger daughter Emily. Um, she, she's got a, a heart condition. It's called Tetralogy of Fallow, uh, affectionately known as TOF. And um, we realised that when uh, it was phase twenty week scan, and um, and uh, we got the uh, understanding of when they did the scan, they could see that there's a problem with the heart. And effectively, it's a hole in the heart, um, and the pulmonary artery is half the diameter of the aorta and that means that the heart works twice as hard on one side and therefore by the very nature of that it will grow out of shape and ultimately be a problem and, and it affects the respiratory system so um you know amelie was born and um you know we 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 knew that at some point probably in the first six months that she was going to need to have major heart surgery and so five minutes five months into her life we went up to the bristol bri um, fabulous hospital, hospital, the NHS, as we know, incredible. And um, we know that having had to have so much support from the NHS from that perspective, we know how great they are. Um, so, Amelie's open heart surgery at five months on a heart that pro was probably that big, and the, the incredible nurses and doctors and specialists that, that worked on it. Um, the moment that I handed her over in the environment where I saw her then um, be put to sleep for the operation that moment that Faye and I then endlessly roamed around probably Bristol for eight nine ten hours which is effectively how long the process was from operation to recovery we went to some dark moments um, it, 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 it was a very difficult time for us and, and the older two children were, were heavily impacted from that they're, they're eight and ten years older um, so uh, yeah difficult for us all but but there's no doubt when you see her now, um, who's a, a bustling five-year-old that's actually gone back to school this week, and we were concerned about that, um, but we got the medical advice that we, that we wanted because it's so important for her to, to live a, a life that we would want, you, you would never know. And ultimately, that will come again. You know, the repairs, as they call them, probably, probably you know, last for about 10 to 12 years. So we know we're going to go through that moment again. We'll go through that moment far more wise and under, understanding. 
Um, but crikey Moses, did that help us really realize what's most important in life? And that is health and well-being uh, of those that you love and are around you and of everybody. So we know through this crisis, it's been tough from a well-being perspective. And we also know that we are incredibly thankful for um, what we have and certainly um, puts that perspective in the right place. Wow. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, and, you know, we wish you, uh, Emily and, and the family, every success and every health and happiness. Thank you, John. Um, how, how about um, changing the topic from some dark moments to, to some more cheerful moments and perhaps your development plans, what, what you as a leader are going to keep doing about developing as an inspiring leader, because other people say you're an inspiring leader. This is how people come on this series, is that either uh, we've experienced them when coaching, that they're inspiring people, or people have recommended them as inspiring leaders. Uh, and I will, after this uh, interview, ask you to recommend somebody else, and we've got some ideas on that. But um, what about your development plans, and, and what's your final tip about wisdom um, and, uh, and good leadership tip that you lead people with? Yeah, I mean, for me, constantly wanted to be a student of leadership. Uh, absolutely, in the business that I work in, the industry that I work in, um, if you're open-minded to new things and trying new things, particularly being that student of leadership, um, then, then I, think, I think that's exactly the way that you should do it. Um, you always give me loads of top tips. You always give me some fabulous authors and uh, audio books to listen to. Uh, so being that student, every moment you can do so. And I, and I think it's important that you create that time to think, you know, in your working week. Um, back-to-back meetings, rushing and going from one place to the next. Yeah, I've been in that space, but actually what makes me more effective as a leader is creating that time to think and then creating that time to think and being the student of leadership. So really thinking about your own development. And um, one of the things I want to do more of, and, and you can, when you're working in a business, um, in lots of businesses, you can get a bit more, you can get a bit tunnel visioned. And, and ultimately, you know, the four walls of ASDA, which is fabulous, um, will we'll drive you to be a certain leader. One of the things that I firmly believe in the, in the role that I'm in, you've got to look externally. You've got to look to collaborate more. You've got to look to learn from more leaders and more industries. And I've um, done quite a lot of that in the last 12 months and I'm getting quite a bit of benefit from it. And I'll definitely continue to do that, carve out that more time to think and definitely carve out that time to be able to meet new people, new leaders, different experiences and, and, and particularly learn from them. Yeah, great. And it, it almost comes back from your days in Hong Kong, meeting people from different countries around the place that you're, you constantly enjoy meeting people. John, uh, we've come to the end of our time. It was fascinating uh, hearing from you and deeply moving as well at the same time. And you continue to inspire and you continue to do a great service with your 12,500 people for the nation. So thank you very much for all you're doing and thank you for being on the series. That's great, and uh, I've enjoyed it, and as ever, thanks for your support and leadership over time in the future, I know. Take care of yourself. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. 
And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.